It's Thursday, September 16th, 2021, and you are listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and the balance of power here in America and around the free world. I am Jonathan Mavroides, senior writer at the Hoover Institution, and I'm sitting in the chair of Bill Whalen, the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism, so that he can answer questions and provide commentary about California policy and politics in which he is well-versed. Bill Whalen, in addition to being a Washington Post columnist, writes weekly for Hoover's California On Your Mind web channel and edits and publishes Eureka, a quarterly forum featuring analysis and commentary from Hoover scholars and California's top thinkers. Whalen is joined by Leo Hanian, Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and Professor of Economics and Director of the Edinger Family Program in Macroeconomic Research at the University of California, Los Angeles. Ohanian also writes twice per week about the policy environment of the Golden State for California on your mind. Good day, gentlemen. Let's talk about Governor Gavin Newsom's survival of the recall election on Tuesday and the latest in developments in policy and politics of the Golden State. The Hoover Institution recently conducted a Golden State poll in partnership with the premier polling firm YouGov and Stanford's Bill Lane Center for the American West. Uh, YouGov surveyed 2,043 registered voters, 57% of which said they would vote no on the recall. On Tuesday, when polls closed in California, the recall failed 67% to 33%. That is 67% voted no on the recall and 33% voted yes. Uh, Bill, let's start with you. Why did the recall fail in such spectacular fashion? Uh, well, let's see. So I think, uh, yeah, we were off at the, um, uh, doing our Golden State poll. And this, most polls were off on this as well. Most had it at about the same spread as us, about 12, 13, 14 points. Um, I think it's just easy to uh, attribute to as simple mechanics here in California. Um, and I use military analogy here. Uh, first of all, Gavin Newsom controlled the ground in California. He had uh, twice as many Democrats to choose from as there are Republicans. You look at voter registration in California, there are 5 million more Democrats than there are Republicans. So his campaign was based on one simple proposition, turn out enough re- Democrats that uh, it's impossible for the Republican alternatives to make up the ground. Second advantage he had was he raised $80 million because the um, campaign uh, donor limits did not apply to him because he was not a recall candidate technically. So he could take $3 million from Reed Hastings, the Netflix CEO, and half a million dollars here, a million dollars there. All of that money got him what? The ability to control the airwaves. In August, for example, when the, the opposition was really nowhere to be found on the airwaves, Newsom spent something like $36 million advertising, which is just advertising on steroids in California. But he was advertising around the clock, and he was creating the narrative of the recall that he wanted. He turned what should have been a referendum on him and, and into a referendum in California on Democrats versus Republicans. And as we've seen this century in California, where Republicans have lost 51 of 52 races not involving Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's pretty much a given that Republicans will lose. So so again, the military analogy, if you control the air and you control the ground, you're going to win the war. And that's what Newsom did. He controlled the air, he controlled the ground, and he won, he won handsomely. Lee, do you have anything to add to that on why? Uh, yeah, it, uh, I mean, just a remarkable turnaround. And if you go back, uh, probably just even two months, poll showed it was it was fairly even at that point. Yeah. And Governor Newsom was had a, had an approval rating of under fifty percent in in early summer. So, I would call this probably the Larry Elder effect. So Newsom was really just ignoring the recall. Um, not even identifying any of the recall candidates, such as Kevin Faulkner, former mayor of San Diego, wouldn't even acknowledge them, uh, much less mention them by name. And then Larry Elder enters the race uh, at the last minute, and Elder engages a certain base. And suddenly Newsom comes out and starts identifying Elder and mentioning him by name. And as Bill noted, that $80 million war chest really went to work. And it went to work with some free advertising, in in my opinion, from a lot of the major media sources where Newsom painted Elder as another Donald Trump. And Joe Biden painted Elder as the closest thing to a clone of Donald Trump I've ever seen. So from a political standpoint, they really shrewdly played that card. And the LA Times and other major media sources really came to his defense with headlines such as Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. Minorities will suffer enormously under a Larry Elder governorship. And stories like this were coming out every day in major media 
there were just blasts from Newsom and the state Democratic Party about what an elder governorship would mean. And suddenly the visage of Donald Trump came back to California and the voter turnout, particularly among registered Democrats, was much higher, just remarkably much higher than what was gauged even six weeks ago yeah. when, when surveys asked, hey, are you a likely voter or not? Democratic Party really wasn't going to turn out. Right. Now they did because of the 24-7 portrayal of Elder as Donald Trump coming back. And then you had the very fortuitous for Newsom, the very unfortuitous for Elder, the Texas situation in which the abortion law was changed. And Elder has come out as a candidate who, um, who does not support abortion. And he also indicated that he would appoint a Republican to the Senate should Dianne Feinstein resign. Um, so suddenly you had, you had all the stars, all the political stars lining up for Gavin Newsom as Elder being a new Donald Trump, making the Senate into one that's controlled by Republicans and not Democrats all sorts of awful things happening to a woman's right to choose. Right. Um, and so Democrats were engaged, they came out and they voted and not surprisingly, they voted for Newsom. And yeah. sadly, I think for the state is that the election wasn't really run on the merits of the candidates. It was really a lot of scare tactics. Um, and I think that's where we're $270 million poor in the state because of the recall. And I think for that amount of money, I think the election should have been based on the merits. Easy for me to say, but uh, California now is one, and I agree completely with Bill, this is one in which Newsom won by even larger margin than he won in 2018. 2018 was 62-38 over John Cox. Mm -hmm. We really got no traction whatsoever in the recall. Elder was really the only one to, to really get traction. Mm -hmm. And uh, and now it's 67-33. So he and the Democratic Party are looking at this as a referendum and just, you know, we're just going to plow full steam ahead with our agenda that we were pushing forward until COVID came along and disrupted that. So <clears throat> I don't think this was a good outcome for California. Not to say that uh, I have a really a horse in this particular race, but um, if for those of you who, who were looking at Newsom and saying, yeah, I don't think we should have a recall, I'm glad Newsom is still a governor. 53-47 would have been much better because then he would have had to be much more of somebody who reached across and tried to bring people together, which is court what, what politicians are supposed to do. Now so, I think so, there's almost no chance of that. So Lee, as an academic, you can always complain that issues were not involved in the campaign. That's a, that's our default in every election in America, I think. They didn't talk about the didn't talk about policy. It got into personalities. Let me throw some math at you guys to kind of underscore what happened here in California. Uh, our listeners should know that uh, it's an odd election in that, first of all, it was done in September, which was one reason why the polling got complicated. We just don't know voting habits in California in September. Uh, second, every Californian who's registered to vote received a ballot in the mail, just as they did in the presidential election. That presidential election re re resulted in an 80% turnout, uh, about seven out of eight votes being by mail. Um, so trying to predict how many people would vote here. The low end estimation for the recall here is about a 50% turnout. So of 22 million registered voters, that means about 11 point million people voting. Uh, I checked the Secretary of State's website today. Uh, for those who are really curious about this, California Secretary of State uh, is the elections official and they have uh, ongoing updates of this. Um, here's how it breaks down right now, guys. Um, 9.2 million Californians voted on the first question, which is to recall or not recall Governor Newsom but only 5.1 million people voted on the second question, which is which of the replacement candidates. So this is part of the effective Newsom strategy to keep a prominent Democrat off that um, second question, but also tell people vote on question one, don't vote on question two. If you look back at the 2003 recall election, about nine, point, about 9 million people voted on question one to remove Gray Davis. 8.65 million people voted on question two. So it was a pretty equal representation. Uh, going deeper into that, Arnold Schwarzenegger got 4.2 million votes in 2003. Larry Elder, at last count, has 2.4 million. Now, if it's a 50% turnout, that means another 2 million ballots are going to show up. And why do they keep showing up? A lot of Californians vote the same way they do their taxes. They will drop in their ballot in the mail at 11.59 in the evening. And so it takes a few extra days to catch up on this. 
but what you see here is an underlying problem for Republicans moving forward. You take Larry Elder's 2.4 million votes, you add John Cox, who Lee mentioned ran against Newsom in 2018 when he received 4.7 million votes. In this election, Mr. Cox received only so far 225,000. If you add up Cox's votes, those of Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, Kevin Colley, the, uh, the state legislator, even uh, Caitlyn Jenner, who I think got 56,000 votes, Lee, uh, it adds up to about 3.3 million votes. Now, that'll keep growing, obviously, but here's the challenge that John Cox, again, got 4.7 million back in 2018 and got trounced, didn't even get the 40%. So this represents something of a limit for Republicans uh, in California. Uh, what it suggests is if you wanted to recall uh, Gavin Newsom, they needed to find at least 1.25 million more votes that simply are just not out there. And the question, Lee, is if they're just simply not enough Republicans and conservative-minded uh, people who are not registered or with other party willing to do this, it was a failure message by the candidates uh, or what have you. I think it's kind of a combination of both. Uh, uh, it is just a very democratic state. Newsom very, very smartly, uh, as you mentioned, he uh, made this referendum on, among other things, abortion. And then toward the end of it, Lee, he made it a referendum on vaccines, which is a preview of coming attractions for Democrats across America. There's a governor's race in Virginia coming up uh, this fall, but actually voting begins next week. Uh, in that race, the Democrat Terry McAuliffe is going after his Republican opponents saying that Republican votes anti-vaccine. You notice, by the way, Lee, that when Newsom did this on the air, he, number one, called it a matter of life and death, so made it sound very seriously, and he never used the word mandate, Lee. Instead, he just you know, kept on wrapping around the word science, and this is very clever. It makes it makes your opponent seem like sort of a mouth-breathing, you know, anti-science Luddite, if you will. So uh, smart messaging. So the question is now, what does the governor do? What do Republicans do? And, you know, the governor was at an event yesterday in Oakland and was asked about this. And he said, let's let the dust settle. But at some point, Lee, the dust will settle soon. And the question is, what does Gavin Newsom do? What should he do? Because it's, you know, it's an odd situation we've we moved into. We've gone from kind of famine to feast. You know, late July, he looked like he was very much in trouble. Uh, he could be removed from office. And now here he is, you know, surviving the recall handsomely, as you noted, uh, similar margins to 2018. He would seem like a lock to be reelected in 2022. He goes back to a Sacramento Lee where Democratic supermajorities in both chambers, they feel jazzed by the results. He's a Democratic uh, Congress in Washington willing to send money. So it seems the governor and the Democrats can do pretty much what they want to do in California now, but the question is going to be, Lee, what will they do? But more importantly, what should they do? Yeah, Bill, so what, <clears throat> what should they do? Um, I mean, sadly, the laundry list is a long one in terms of, in terms of what Newsom, the Democratic Party, should do. Uh, let me... Um, let me just uh, before I, before I I, uh, I, I discuss that um, I wanted to go back to your point about the Republican Party mm -hmm. and just how much trouble it is in in California. Um, I was looking at the major donors to the recall candidates, and John Cox donated nine point seven million dollars to his to his own to his own candidacy. Right. Uh, and he had, I think, altogether maybe about 12 million. Right. Larry Elder had about 5 million. Gavin Newsom, as you indicated, had 80 million. The, the Republican Party uh, had a great opportunity here to, if not, if not win the recall, at least make itself relevant. And uh, from a political standpoint, at least the candidates in the party seem to be doubling down on some policy positions that you know, just a lot of California voters just aren't willing to support. Um, and I think that's really evident when we look at, at the outcome, particularly with regard to Larry Elder. Um, in terms of what we need to do, okay, so let me read you some statistics. And all of these are major, major investments that require billions to resolve. Um, California has has drought roughly every three years, maybe every between every two and three years. We haven't had any major water infrastructure investments since the 1970s. This results in rationing. This results in enormous uncertainty for agriculture because they don't know whether they should pull up 
There are peach trees and almond trees and walnut trees because those require somewhat more water than other crops. Right. Um, this is really just killing business within the state. And yet it's been nearly 50 years since we had any major water infrastructure investments. So there's one, there's one thing they need to do. Uh, crime is up by about a third, more than the third in LA and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, businesses are leaving the state at twice the rate as recent years. And when their owners or CEOs are polled, they mentioned policies, they mentioned tax policies, regulatory policies, uh, litigation and tort reform that's needed. Uh, so those also need to be addressed. Uh, more than one out of three Californians live in poverty or near poverty, you know, largely because of housing costs here. Right. Uh, we don't build nearly enough homes and that's why it's so expensive to live here. And when we do build a home, regulatory issues which I think Larry Elder was very, very correct to, to focus his campaign on, including laws such as California Environmental Quality Act, um, because of regulatory issues such as CEQA, it can cost over a million dollars a unit to build a quote affordable apartment unit, um, which is of course insane. Um, Co John Cox is a builder. He also focused on building costs and housing costs in the state. Um, about one out of three Ameri uh, homeless in America are in California. Um, people are decrying the fact that $270 million was spent on the recall election, and, and oh my God, what a waste was that? Well, California spent over $30 billion in fraudulent unemployment benefits because of a horribly outdated IT system in the Employment and Development Department. We have uh, fires burning well over uh, a million acres this year. Um, uh, this is an interesting, very sad, very sad statistic that wildfires in California in about the last 10 years each year have created carbon emissions, CO2 emissions. And this is not counting property damage or lives lost or lives that are irrevocably changed because of fires. The wildfires alone are the equivalent of an extra 10 million cars on the road annually. And this is supposed to be the state where we're all about green, we're all about reducing the carbon footprint, and we do almost anything to do that, including all new houses being required to have solar panels on their roofs, which is um, incredibly inefficient. Uh, and yet, we haven't thinned the forests. We haven't managed the forests. So that's an extra 10 million cars uh, per year. Um, the budget's unsustainable. Two thirds of the budget goes just to three categories, prisons, health and human services, which is a big part of that is Medicaid. It's a, a healthcare system for poor people, uh, which is not functioning very well. And the third category is K through 12. Um, so we can't continue to spend two thirds of the budget on just three categories. 80% um, of Hispanic and black kids are, are lack proficiency in math. Um, those are just some of the areas that, that need to be addressed. Um, but these have been, you know, these need, have needed to be addressed uh, for years and years. Um, Newsom has been in state government uh, dating back to his time in San Francisco government for 20 years. Uh, and what really worries me is that we're not going to move the needle on any of these aspects. And if there was a bit more competition, political competition in the state, then there would be more pressure on the governor and, and the Democratic Party to try to make some efforts to deal with these problems. But I really worry that none of this is gonna get addressed in the next year. But the Governor Newsom will, will will certainly be reelected, perhaps by a large, by, perhaps by a large uh, a large amount um, a year from now. Right. So that's really the question here, Lee. Um, has the governor really been changed at all by what's happened? Um, and uh, I know Jonathan's looked inside the election results and found some interesting, you know, you know, changes in voting behaviors. But uh, you know, you mentioned Newsom um, as mayor of San Francisco 20 years ago, Lee. He stood up as the mayor of San Francisco and said he was going to solve homelessness in that city within 10 years. 
That was 20 years ago. And I think if we all went to San Francisco, we'd find there are plenty of homeless people still in San Francisco. He has now vowed to end homelessness. Family homelessness, I think, is the phrase he uses. He's vowed to end that in five years in California based on throwing $12 billion at the program. Um, he's fond of very big, splashy ideas in which the follow through is usually terrible and inconsequential. So that's kind of the question if the recall is, you know, has changed that because, again, he did have to break his behavior because of the recall instead of staying inside of Sacramento and staying in the bubble and giving those awful daily press conferences on COVID that just were not helping him any. Uh, his people correctly righted the ship. They got him out of Sacramento. They got him going around California. Granted, this was when COVID was on the retreat and uh, it looked like we we're turning the curve on it and things were reopening. So he was taking a lot of credit for that. But he was seeing homelessness in person. He was seeing filthy streets in person. It was it was just a good sign to see a governor being proactive and addressing problems rather than spitballing at them from inside Sacramento. So the question, Lee and Jonathan, is going to be, you know, has he really changed? Is we're going to see a different Newsom who's a little more pragmatic? And if so, Lee, is he willing to really crack eggs? You know, the old, the old cliche, you have to break eggs and make an omelet. If he wants to do something about CEQA, um, you know, every governor in my lifetime here in California has given lip service to changing CEQA. It always dies an undignified death. Uh, most of anything, he wants to do it a serious front. He will have opposition from the legislature in one way or another. Uh, is he willing to have a fight with them in some way? Is he willing to kind of move away? Or is he just going to be on sort of a very large progressive crusade? And what I fear is just kind of given the man, given the mentality in Sacramento, and now he must feel just almost bulletproof because of this. I'm afraid it's just going to be, again, that great liberal crusade. But uh, but Jonathan, you were looking at the voting results. You saw a couple of interesting trends. You want to, you want to point those out? Yeah, specifically um, among uh, Lat Latinos, um, there's been some talk of a realignment of Latino voters to the Republican Party. Um, for example, ex-California Democratic leader Gloria Romero surprised many of Many of her um, colleagues um, through the endorsement, through her endorsement of Larry Elder, um, exit polls show that Newsom largely maintained support from this group, uh, but he saw a decrease of six percent from the 2018 election. Yeah. Um, I, both of you, do you do you think that there's a significant uh, enough dip among Latino voters that should cause Democrats to start? worrying about the future of elections and the possible realignment of uh, Latinos to uh, Republicans. Lee, I think there's an opening there for Republicans in this regard. The 6% dip uh, might, re might represent at least two things. Number one, uh, Donald Trump not really being involved in this election. This is nothing that Newsom campaign did cleverly. They ran ads specifically against Larry Elder and had uh, a, a photo of Elder, you know, thumbs up next to Donald Trump. So just instead of calling out Trump, just kind of uh, linking uh, Elder by insinuation. But I, I, rather than um, the the argument in California with Latinos for the past 25 years, Lee, of one of immigration, um, I think you've seen a shift here. Now the shift for Latinos is uh, moving economically and in education. And here, the governor and Democrats might have a long-term problem, uh, which COVID underscored. Um, the typical working class, blue collar Latino family, Lee, um, they're not sitting at home and doing Zoom calls all day long and taking a break to go out and see if their Tesla is being charged in the driveway or not. They are, you know, they have to go to work. They physically have to work somewhere else. Uh, so the lockdown of the economy was brutal uh, for their livelihood. But secondly, Lee, education. You want your child to climb the ladder in California. You know that a good education makes that possible. And then secondly, education is for these working class folks. It's a form of childcare, if you will. You know your kid's going to be taken care of during the day hours. So when the governor is slow and Democrats are slow and don't want to mess with unions, and so schools uh, are way behind in California on reopening, pretty easy to blame one party for that. So that's the opportunity, I think, for Republicans moving forward. If you can make the conversation on education and make it on the economy, get away from the border and get away from kind of that historic argument, Democrats would join and change it. So maybe, Lee, that's part of what the 6% dip is. Yeah, Bill, I agree entirely. The um... Within California, Hispanic voters tend to be culturally and socially much more conservative um, than the median person within the state Democratic Party. Um, they're much more attached to the labor force. They tend to be much more entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurship rates are much higher among right. Hispanic households uh, than any other demographic in California. So all of the things we frequently talk about um, the quality of education, how difficult it is to start your own business, um, 
regulations, bad roads, traffic, uh, all of these things are items that are really not not nonpartisan in terms of how to solve them. They aren't, these aren't, school quality is not a left-right issue. Getting the roads fixed is not a left-right issue. Reducing regulatory burdens um, to start a business is not a left-right issue. Um, these are really just common sense reforms. So the Republican Party could, I believe in principle, make substantial inroads into this demographic. And that demographic is big. Um, I believe about 39% of uh, adults in California are non-Hispanic white. About 25% would be Hispanic white. Uh, Asian Americans would be about 15%. So those are the three large large pieces. So if the, and uh, so and Asian Americans also highly value quality education very, very entrepreneurial. So those are really the, the groups that the Republican Party should be trying to make it in Razan, should be trying to connect with. I think that's starting to happen just organically as they're fed up with school closings, the quality of schools, the difficulties in starting a business, the tax rates. Um, and the Republican strategy of really kind of saying, I'm gonna go after you know the base, the base being what emerged after during 2016, mm -hmm. um, they've got to evolve um, very substantially. Um, and if they do, then it could be a very, very different state for, for the Republican Party. But um, you know, this, this election just showed how easy it is to shut down ideas and uh, and despite, despite how little Governor Newsom has done to make the state an easier place to live, a less costly place to live, despite how little he has done, he wins with 67%. Um, so this is really, uh, <laughs> I know about the fourth wake up call for the state's Republican party to say, we've got to go back to the, we've got to go back to the drawing board and we got to get something out there very quickly that's going to appeal to a broader group of people. Well, the other group that has to wake up, Lee, is outside money. Um, if, you know, we can we can lament the sad condition of the Republican Party in California and just that lack of competition is, you know, part of the state's political problem. Uh, but also you saw in the recall, Lee, nobody did an independent expenditure against Newsom. And for those not familiar with California law, if I am, uh, if I don't like Lee Grissom's candidacy for governor, uh, I can either donate to Lee Grissom's uh, opponents, in which case I'm limited to like $35,000 if it's a gubernatorial election, or I can mount an independent expenditure campaign, what's called an IE in Sacramento. That means that I can run advertisements around the clock saying what an awful, awful human being Leo Hanian is. I just can't be working in concert. I can't be working and coordinating with a rival campaign. Lee, you didn't see an IE of any significance in this election against Newsom. And this is part of what you know, allowed him to dominate the airwaves. There was no outside individual, no outside group, or even a group inside California, Lee, that was willing to spend five or $10 million to get on the air and make the policy argument against the governor. Instead, it was left to these, blessed to these rather lesser Republicans to do it. And the media, and the media don't like to talk about policy to begin with, and they tend to go to a default mode, which is they'd rather you know pick apart the Republican candidates and examine the governor's record. So I'm just curious about where the outside money was, Lee, and I come to one or two conclusions. Either it's a very Machiavellian one, in which they're looking at this and they're deciding that one or two things are going to happen. Either A, um, the governor is going to survive the recall, so I better not get on his bad side, or B, if the governor is recalled and I succeed in my independent expenditure, the legislature is still there. It's dominated by Democrats. They'll be mad at me. So I don't want to get on the wrong side of Sacramento. Should I, should, should, I should stay out. Um, but the, the, the scenario that concerns me even more, Lee, is just the idea that individuals who would invest in California politics, who would want to you know, mount independent expenditures to try to change the debate, they look at the state and they see it just controlled by one party. They just don't see it as competitive and they would just rather take their money and put it to other states where they could actually affect the outcome. That's, yeah, absolutely. That has been the narrative for a lot of recent elections for the Republican Party. The National Republican Party is has not been willing to invest in California because they just think it's throwing good money after bad. They did invest in the recall 
when the recall was gaining steam, the national the, the national party did invest, um, and that I think that was probably important getting the recall over the hump. But you look at the war chests of Elder and Cox, who donated nearly ten million dollars of money to this, right. um, and Faulkner, who really had very little, um, and Jenner could have had could have created large war chests on her own if she wanted to. Uh, but yeah, there was very little outside money. Um, we were just inundated with ads um, on the on the Democratic side from Barack Obama. Um, uh, my son and I were watching <clears throat> were watching football on on Saturday and Sunday, and um, and my goodness, I think we saw former President Obama. I think we must have seen him fifteen times during that dur dur during those broadcasts. Um, yeah. But where was? the former politician or actor or highly recognizable face and name who was advocating against Gavin Newsom. There, there, was, there was no one. Right. Uh, there was there's obviously no one. There's a Republican problem in California that, Lee, and it's what I call the avatar problem, and that um, there's just not really a living avatar in California who could work for Republicans out here. Uh, you'd say, wait a second, we had a Republican governor a decade ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, Arnold of the Republican Party in California divorced years ago. So Arnold's not your spokesman. Uh, you could trot out my old boss, Pete Wilson, but Pete Wilson was last on the ballot in California in 1994. You could trot out Ronald Reagan's memory and his vision and his legacy, but Ronald Reagan was last on the ballot in America, Lee, in 1984. Uh, if you voted for Ronald Reagan as an 18-year-old in 1984, congratulations. You're now 55 years old. AARP wants your, wants your business. So um, the problem is that you don't have a living avatar. And then California's politics and national Republican politics just don't mesh. And so the easiest thing for a Democrat to do is to do what you would do with a Democrat in Texas. And whereas you would make that Democrat, you know, in sync and in line with AOC, let's say, or Nancy Pelosi, you do the same here in California and you link them to Donald Trump or Ted Cruz or someone who just doesn't play in the Golden State and away you go. But, you know, again, this is going to speak to part of the Republican challenge out here moving forward. I just wrote a piece for the Washington Post on this. Um, I think it's Darwinism, Lee. The Republican Party, if it wants to be competitive, it's going to have to adapt. And, and it's going to have to stop approaching everything like it's a closed Republican primary, which is how the Republicans ran in this election, and realize that we need a fusion candidate, somebody who can bring Republicans in, but also can appeal to that vast middle of the 23.5% of the electorate that's nonpartisanly aligned. Uh, absolutely. The party, Republican Party is uh, is entering dinosaur territory. So yeah, they absolutely have to change the narrative. Uh, and it one that has to, you mentioned Reagan, it has to go back to the big tent party. Everyone is welcome. We stand for smaller government that really focuses on the issues you care about mm -hmm. and that does a good job on getting that stuff done. And all the other stuff, all the so, all the social stuff, the cultural stuff, we're not going to touch that. That's up to you and your family. So that was a message that resonated very strongly back in the day. Um, I have a sense, Bill, that that may still be more relevant among voters than um, than we might think based on what happened with this week's recall because it was just in 2020 that voters uh, vote that uh, California voted to keep independent contractor status for um, rideshare for Uber uh, and so forth. Um, they voted against they voted against um, raising uh, they voted against, businesses losing their Prop 13 exemption. Right. Uh, they voted to maintain the ban on affirmative action um, mm -hmm. in school admissions and, and uh, in state and local government. Uh, they voted against eliminating cash bail. Right. Um, so a lot of the votes in, 20, in the fall of 20, I think were surprising in terms of how yeah. conservative those votes are. Um, so when I look at the median California voter, I, I don't think they are very closely aligned with Newsom's agenda um, or the agenda of, uh, of a lot of the Democrats in uh, the state legislature. Um, and that is a voter that um, a Republican or a moderate Democrat 
you know, could very, very easily connect with. Um, you know, we might get us, uh, ahead of ourselves a little bit. I'm sure we'll be talking about this um, uh, next year, but, um, but what's coming up on the initiatives, I think are gonna be really interesting and could be real game changers for California. Um, there's gonna be, a, there's, there's gonna be the possibility of the school choice initiative, mm -hmm. uh, which will really push in the face of the Democratic Party and a ban on public employee unions. Um, and the main funders of a lot of democratic campaigns, um, including Newsom, um, are public sector employees, uh, public sector unions, and uh, including teachers unions. Um, so, and these really go at the heart of what people care about. Um, how much should, public employees, be, how much of a conflict of interest is there when public employees who support incumbent politicians, uh, you know, that, that, that's an obvious one. Um, we often hear the name of FDR being invoked. And uh, I believe he really came out strongly against public sector unions back in the day. Uh, people care about the quality of school education, of education and um, a lot of people are, are, are very frustrated with the fact that they're stuck in a neighborhood school that's not performing very, very well. There's no competition. So we'll get to that stuff um, you know, later down, you know, down the road. But, um, but if Newsom ever wanted to move the needle on any, any of these issues, quality of education, homelessness, reducing building costs, uh, reducing regulatory burdens um, to entrepreneurship, now would be the time he could do that and push his Democratic colleagues in the Senate and the Assembly and say, look, I just won two to one. We need to get this stuff done. CEQA is number one on my list. You come up with something and I'll sign it. And let's make building in this state easier and less costly. We can still protect the environment. The CEQA law is way outdated. He could do that. And he, with a two to one vote, he should be able to get that done. Uh, but uh, like you, I don't think he is going to do that. Um, and that's uh, and that makes me very sad because life here in California could be so much better with a few judicious regulatory and tax changes. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the ballots, uh, ballot initiatives in 2020, Lee, in California. So um, there was an initiative which would have undone uh, Proposition 209, which uh, took away affirmative action in college admissions. This initiative would have restored it. It lost and it got skunked. Um, why did it lose? Well, I think because it hit a nerve and the nerves among California's various uh, minorities, especially Asians who get punished when you restore affirmative action, they lose in the quotas game. Uh, you mentioned the uh, ballot measure that would have amended Proposition 13 and it would have uh, changed the, uh, uh, it would have taken uh, property taxes on uh, commercial property and uh, assessed them in real time value, not the value at which they were sold previously. A big windfall for the state legislature, but you mentioned Proposition 13 and people get very queasy fast because I think they're coming for my house. Uh, but then you mentioned uh, Proposition 22, which was the fight over the AB5 law, Lee. And what stands out there is this is what you do when you're organized and you really fight to the death. Um, so what happened in that initiative, it's really kind of uh, bizarro California, if you world, whereas as we've talked about the, the left having dominance, the Prop 22 fight, Lee, was the opposite. Um, the likes of Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, Postmates, Lee, they raised about $200 million for that initiative. I think unions uh, spent about $16 million against him. Governor Newsom stayed out of it because he saw the writing on the wall, and that passed. Now, it's been fought in the courts afterwards, but that shows what happens when you kind of bring a gun to a knife fight, which is the challenge for the right at all times in California. They're forever bringing a knife to a gunfight, if you will. So, so things are possible. Uh, by the way, on the note of the uh, the 22 ballot measures, uh, the most interesting guy in California might be Tim Draper. Uh, Tim Draper, the famous Silicon Valley uh, venture capitalist, he tried a ballot measure in 2000 to bring school choice into California. The California Teachers Association rained hell upon him for doing that. He lost. He uh, tried uh, earlier, um, uh, tried the previous decade to break up California into three pieces. Uh, that ballot measure uh, did not collect enough signatures, so it's still sitting out there. And now he wants to go after public employee unions in California. So uh, I don't know if it's going to pass or not, but give him credit for being willing to uh, to really tilt at the windmills in California. Yes, yes, indeed. And when Bill, Bill when you mentioned, you know, stuff can get done when you're organized. 
I helped a bit with uh, with 22. Um, so I did uh, advise and consult with some of the folks involved with that. And the only reason I say that is that they they did have a lot of money. They hired the very best professional in terms of marketing, in terms of politics. You went down the list and they had the very best professionals in all those areas. And they dotted the T's and crossed the I's and they knew what they had to do to get this turned over. Now, of course, th this is in the courts and we'll see how all that, how all that uh, evolves. But when you compare something like that with um, the campaigns of Elder or Cox or Faulkner, um, the money the money just wasn't there. And whatever media attention they received, it was all incredibly negative. Um, in fact, there was an LA Times story about uh, Kevin Faulkner and at some level, early early on, I thought Faulkner was going to be the most likely of the candidates to really resonate because he was Republican mayor in a Democratic city. He was uh, he was reelected, um, savvy politician, well has the right economic principles in mind. I um, I, I, I advised him when he when he came calling. Um, and he, the, and the LA Times story talked about how he worked for a, uh, a lobbying firm back in the early 90s when he was shortly out of college. And one of their clients was an energy company who in you know, 1993 was not willing to embrace climate change. And therefore, Kevin Faulkner was a lousy guy. Um, I mean, that sounds ludicrous for so many reasons, but that was the story about Kevin Faulkner. Yeah. It wasn't about what Kevin, how what kind of governorship Kevin Faulkner would advance if he was if he was uh, if he was the successful recall candidate. Um, so, yeah, if things are going to get done in California, uh, what really concerns me is money. <laughs> money is always talking politics, but I think more so than ever, it that is really apparent here. And again, I mean, I just wish Governor Newsom would um, would flip the coin over and say, <laughs> and pull a Sally Field and say, they love me. They really love me. And I'm going to make some changes here that uh, they're going to be good for the state, but that might ruffle some feathers within my own party. But now's the time to do it. They are not going to fight me on this. Right. But I, I worry that's not going to happen. If I could bring this back to the impact of the recall um, for a moment, um, yesterday on Twitter, Governor Newsom touted that the Golden State has led the nation with the lowest uh, COVID-19 uh, case rate. Uh, do you right. believe that the re rejection of the recall has national implications, both in politics and in policy um, for Democrats um, nationally and um, in other states? Um, I mean, does, does it breathe new life into support for um, you know, vaccine mandates nationwide? Does it breathe in support for, you know, national policies um, that help expansion of entitlements um, and, you know, and, and, other, and other policy issues? Um, Lee, you want to start with that? Sure. Um, I, I applaud Governor Newsom uh, that he exhibited strong leadership when dealing with K through 12 public education. And given that little kids, um, you know, at that time, um, vaccination wasn't even approved for young children that he was requiring either vaccination status or frequent testing. Um, so I think that's the common sense policy choice. Um, ironically, Larry Elder and his, and his family were all vaccinated, yet he was portrayed as the anti-vax anti candidate. Um, so it's, I think, unfortunate that this becomes such an enormous hot button issue within the state, particularly now that both Moderna and I believe both Pfizer and Moderna are now are now FDA approved uh, beyond just emergency use. So for people who are thinking, "Hey, what's this going to do to me?" Um, and is 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 received full FDA approval? Um, but you know the Democratic Party has to be the, the National Democratic Party has to be looking at this and saying, right. you know, we spent a few million on this, and my goodness, this is one of the best investments we've made in years. Not only is California going to remain solidly Democratic by a two-to-one margin, but we know what the playbook is. Uh, yeah. We blitz, uh, to use a bad football analogy, oh, we blitz on every single down. 
And that blitz is to raise the picture of Donald Trump as many times as we can. As long as Republican Party is going to that particular well, we just trot that out there. And this is like shooting fish in a barrel. Um, so the National Republican Party really has a problem now. And I think they might be kicking themselves that they did not invest more in this race, because even if they were going to lose, 54-46 at some level would have been a victory. Um, but 67-33 is a horrendous defeat. These are the kind of defeats, again, to go to a bad football analogy, the coach is fired. Right. This, after this game, the coach is fired. Um, so, uh, yeah, National Democratic Party is just so happy, and, and they needed to win after what's happened in Afghanistan uh, and all the criticism that uh, Biden and the Biden administration um, has seen from that. Um, so, you know, if you're the stock market today on political parties, Democratic Party way, way up, Repub Republican Party way, way down. So I'm reminded of the line from the movie Cool Hand Luke, where uh, the prison boss says, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And um, Democrats were very effective at communicating in, in, in this recall election, going back to what I said earlier. They took the issue of vaccines and they did not use the M word. You did not hear the word mandate. You just heard vaccinations in a state where I think 85% of adults have been vaccinated now, or they use the term science, but they did not use mandate. So the Republicans now have to question themselves over how do we message against this? And this is historically a challenge for Republicans who just don't always message that well. So you have to introduce the idea of mandates, I think, in this regard, and take it into a conversation about larger government. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Virginia governor's race here for a second. I'm a native of Virginia. Virginia, uh, the Virginia that I grew up in was the South. Um, the today's Virginia is not the South. Uh, Joe Biden carried it by 10 points uh, in the last presidential election. They have a governor's race coming up. It's uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia is an odd state in that it does not allow governors to run for two consecutive terms. So every four years, they're, they're voting for a new governor. Um, as this election comes a year into the new presidency, it's seen as a referendum on the, the White House incumbent. And what you see here is a fascinating dichotomy, Lee and Jonathan. The gubernatorial contest is now very fast moving on two things. One is abortion. Uh, but now abortion with California is maybe a little bit of yesterday's news and that now Democrats feel empowered to talk about vaccines. So the Republican in that race, Terry McAuliffe, he had the job previously, is trying to get it back again. Uh, he is trying to make as an opponent uh, straddle the line between being pro-vaccine, but also being a vaccine skeptic, if you will. And it's tricky. But here's where the dichotomy is in that state election. While you have this governor's race being run now on vaccines, it would appear Virginia also holds legislative races uh, this year. And Democrats gained control of the state legislature in Virginia in 2019, something I didn't think I would see in my lifetime in what used to be a conservative state. And they have, in the past two years, done pretty much everything that Nancy Pelosi wishes she could do in Congress. They've passed, they passed a voting rights law. They've abolished a death penalty. They've passed gun safety laws. They've increased the minimum wage. They've declared racism a public health emergency. They made it illegal to discriminate against LGBTQIA uh, community. Um, in short, is that too woke? And keep in mind, in Virginia, that's a home to Loudoun County outside of Washington, which has been ground uh, zero for a lot of the fight over critical race theory. So you're going to have have vaccines slugged out of the gubernatorial election, but then the question is, will there be a backlash against uh, Democratic incumbency in terms of the all the woke things I just listed with the legislature? I think for Democrats, the, for Republicans, the challenge is going to be to take the vaccine issue and to push back in such a way to talk about mandate government control and government running your life. I think that's the only way because, look, time works against Republicans on this issue, Lee and Jonathan. The longer we go into COVID, the more people get vaccinated. And, you know, states that will have been 60 or 70 percent vaccinated will be 75 or 80 percent. So kind of analogous to the challengers finding Republican votes in California, there'll just be fewer anti-vaccination votes to find a year from now. And looking at um, uh, Gavin Newsom, the individual, a year ago, he was looked at someone who could possibly have national aspirations. Does he come out of this election um, damaged goods or sort of a transfigured leader with promising national prospects? I think he pretty much goes back to where he was pre-pandemic uh, in terms of, uh, at least among Democrats, something of a golden boy now, somebody who pulled himself away from a political fire, somebody who ran a very effective campaign, somebody who trounced Republicans. And you'll probably hear Newsom go back to his famous saying where he called California preview of America's coming attractions. This is pre-pandemic. So I think 
between that kind of built-in natural cockiness that he has and just the ability to do pretty much anything Democrats want to do in Sacramento, uh, the great temptation to make California kind of the blueprint for democratic America. Uh, the two problems with that, number one, just the numbers around the rest of the country are not California's, but secondly, this ties into what Lee has been saying in this podcast, that California may look very alluring and sexy from, you know, from the outside the state, but you get inside here and actually see the rather crumbling poor condition of the state. And that's not exactly how I'd like to champion the future, if I would. So, but I think of this hour, Newsom feels uh, obviously emboldened by what happened. Uh, as for a national player, though, uh, here's the problem. The problem is in two words, it's Kamala Harris. Uh, very easy to say Governor Newsom runs for re-election next year. He breezes to re-election. And if Joe Biden doesn't, run for president in 2024, he could make a run for it, which is what California governors have done. Uh, they almost always fail while they're running as incumbents. Remember, Ronald Reagan was a former governor when he did it in 1980. Um, but Newsom could try it, but the problem would be this. There in the way would be fellow Californian Kamala Harris. They both come from Bay Area roots. They know the same people in California. They share political consultants. It would be very hard for him to run for the vice presidency and not being seen as stabbing her in the back. I think the more intriguing question, Lee, would be if the national office is not available, let's say Biden runs for, wants to run for re-election in 2024, what does Gavin Newsom do about the Senate, Lee? Because there, Dianne Feinstein would, in theory, not be running for re-election in 2024. She could, but she'd be 91 years old. I think probably it's a good time for her to step down. So that office sits there. And Newsom might think, you know, I'm out of a job in 2026. And if I want to stay relevant in national politics, I should move over to the Senate. Um, I wonder if he would do that because he would not be an executive. He'd be one of 100 people. And, you know, if you're a bit of a peacock like Governor Newsom is, being a freshman senator can be rather humbling. Well, yeah, interesting, interesting perspective. Newsom certainly is, um, he's very, he's by far young enough. He's, I believe, 54. Um, so age is an issue for him. Um, I can't imagine that he's doing California governorship at this age and to retire from public office uh, once he completes his, his second term if he's reelected. Um, you know, Jonathan, I think he, he's, he remains alive. Um, obviously he would, you know, I, I think any aspirations for public office would be, would be dead on arrival if the recall had gone differently. And, you know, hypothetically, Bill brings up a lot of good points about the challenges if he ran at the presidential level. Um, and I think at that stage, um, even if Harris wasn't an issue, I think he would have to show he moved the needle in California because California is now for the rest of the country, once you get past those pictures on January 1 of the Rose Bowl and the clear skies and it's 75 degrees here on the field uh, and the Golden Gate Bridge, um, you would just see the videos of San Francisco and just really, I mean, the human, the human waste that we now see lining the street there and saying, this is what Mayor Newsom did to San Francisco. Um, I, I mean, there's just too, there are too many things I think that he could be attacked on uh, at the national level with, 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 a, with a much more conservative, even among the Democratic Party um, votership. So I think if he was gonna do that, Independent of Harris, I mean, he really would need to move the needle on some of the problems that California is facing. I hope he does that. Um, as I said, I think a lot of this stuff is not partisan. It's not left-right. School quality is not left-right. Fixing the roads is not left-right. Yeah. Building a new dam is not left-right. Um, right. But then my credit, but that those things have happened on the Democratic Party's watch, and it would be in his interest to, to push and nudge, and if necessary, force those changes within the legislature. Um, yeah. yeah, because Lee, this ties back to the beginning of our conversation. You know, let me paint you a scenario where Newsom is reelected next year and he gets the same 62% as he did in 2018. Meanwhile, Democrats are having a very bad midterm election, which historically is what happens to first term presidents uh, in this age. And let's say they lose the House. Uh, let's say it's even more disastrous, and let's say that they lose the Senate as well, and let's say they fail on their quest to to knock off Ron DeSantis in Florida and and uh, you know Greg and uh, Governor Abbott in uh, in Texas. In other words, it's just a bad night to be a Democrat in America. There's Gavin Newsom rolling out of California and 
very tempted to go to Washington, go to the National Press Club and give the obligatory speech that every governor does as my state goes, so should America. But Lee, this ties into how we started this podcast. How will he explain California to the outside world? Because you're right. If he talks about this wonderful gold glittering golden state, how easy to pick that apart if you just show an image. You know, it's very interesting, you know, Lee, one of my vices is I like to read the Daily Mail every morning uh, just to see showbiz and celebrities and see who is marketing what. Arnold Schwarzenegger is in there about every week or two. And it's the same shot of Arnold almost every time, Lee, he is pedaling his bike in Venice Beach or Santa Monica. You know what you notice in the photo, Lee? There's always homeless people behind him or there's a mountain of garbage or some sort of encampment. You think, my God, where is he? He looks like he's in a combat zone somewhere. And no, that's a pristine beach in California. And so, so Newsom's going to have to get busy and do some of these, you know, you know, structural changes to California if he really wants to hold us up as a national model. Because I think right now as a national model, it's kind of Swiss cheese. It may look very, very you know, tempting and tasty, but it's got some very big holes in it. It's got some big holes in it. And in terms of his national electability, um, you, if, there, if there's a humble Gavin <laughs> inside that person, then that's the person who should come out. Um, you know, that's funny. Lee. You know, it's funny, Lee. I sign up for campaign emails from just anybody because I just always like to see how people message him. During the recall, Newsom would send out fundraising solicitations every day. He was asking for $3. You do that, Lee, because if you get $3 million from Reed Hastings, you want to get, you know, several thousand $3 donations. So it shows the average donation of my campaign was 10 bucks. You know, this is grassroots. Uh, but his, his messages always be, uh, begin with leave saying, humbly asking. And I look at that and think, you know, I just don't associate humble with that guy. Yeah. And that's, that's the issue. It, um, the, you know, the social contract between the voter and the politician that we used to have back in the day, which was, the voter's the boss and the politician is the person who's been hired to run government, to protect people, to implement public services at a reasonable price and at the quality people want. That, that, that social compact seems to be gone. And now the agenda is all about, the governor is all about, the state legislature. Um, it's about what they want. Um, and that's what's become so dangerous within California is becoming so dangerous across the country. Um, and sadly, um, we see politicians being pushed more to the very loud edges, what used to be the edges in the American electorate, um, the extremes. And uh, in economics and political science, we always used to believe that politicians would get pushed to the middle to try to get as many votes as possible. And now we see them being pushed to other places. And I don't think anything good is going to come of that. So um, I'll hold out hope for Newsom. Um, I know it's unlikely, <laughs> but I hope he does. Uh, I would love to see him take on the most extreme elements in his party. Um, I wish he had been, I wish he'd reached out more after the after the election was called, I wish he'd reached out more and said, I hear you. I hear you about the challenges you're facing. And that's going to be a priority for me. And I'm going to want I want to earn your vote a year from now. We didn't hear that whatsoever. We actually heard that more from Larry Elder in a fairly conciliatory speech, despite the fact that he was claiming, um, you know, potential vote irregularities. Um, Elder's speech was more conciliatory than Newsom. So, again, we have all our, uh, you know, our woods and coulds and wishes. Um, but uh, I think at the end of the day, we're just going to have another year of California like we've had the last few years. Uh, finally, uh, gentlemen, it, it was reported yesterday that um, Secretary of State Shirley Weber and the Democrats uh, in the legislature uh, want to assure that um, this would never happen again. That is the, uh, right. the recall process. And they're exploring ways to put it to an end. Um, Bill, what, ex what specifically are they proposing and uh, what is the process for all these changes to take place? So there are um, a lot of ideas on ways to uh, change the, um, the recall process in California. Keeping in mind, this is a process that goes back to 1910 and Hiram Johnson's uh, attempts to introduce direct democracy into California to go against special interests. Uh, so the recall process was put in and so was the uh, initiative, uh, ballot initiative process as well. Ballot initiatives, by the way, test very strongly with voters. You always hear complaints, we should get rid of ballot initiatives, but voters like it. They like having that check. 
check and balance. So among the things that have been kicked around, Jonathan, uh, one which I probably could go along with is to raise the threshold on what triggers a recall. In California, you have to collect enough signatures from voters commensurate to 12% of the vote in the previous governor's race. So for this recall, it meant 1.5 million signatures. Other states have higher uh, bars to clear, uh, 20%, 25%, uh, up to 30 35 40% in other states. So maybe California should move it up to 20%, let's say, just for the sake of argument. Uh, second reform kicked around, I think 160 days to collect signatures. Other states uh, have a shorter window, like 90 days. So maybe make it a shorter window to really kind of measure voter uh, intensity, if you will. Uh, one of the reasons why this recall made it was because it was headed toward a November 17th deadline. Uh, then the recall committee went to a judge and said, look it, we can't get signatures in this lockdown economy of ours. The judge said, good point, extended it to uh, March the 17th on the same day that that judge uh, ruled, uh, gave the four-month extension. Uh, that was the same day that Governor Newsom went to the French Laundry for dinner. So uh, interesting kind of, uh, uh, you, know, you know, connection there. Uh, so maybe you do a shorter window. Um, there are also suggestions that perhaps uh, the uh, signature should be a, a blend. You should have a certain percentage of each party represented on the ballot instead of all Democrat, all Republican, if you will. Uh, and then there's also the idea that uh, you would uh, change the actual results themselves. Right now, um, the replacement candidate, uh, if a governor is recalled on question one, it's whoever gets the most votes on question two. So if Leo Hanian got two votes and Bill Whalen got one and everybody else got one, welcome Governor Ohanian. Uh, which, by the way, I'd personally welcome to Sacramento. Um, so there's a thought that maybe uh, the winner on the second question should have 50% of the vote, or if there's not 50%, there should be a runoff between those two. There are also efforts to kill it all together. If you kill it all together, though, you're talking about a constitutional change. You've got to put it before the voters to change the Constitution. And so that would be a very big fight right there. So um, the only thing I'd caution against all these ideas about fixing this uh, look at the numbers of recalls in California. This was the 55th attempt uh, against a governor to recall a governor in California. Uh, going back to 1913, I think, was the first year that one of these was attempted. This is the second time in 55 attempts that something has made it to the ballot. That hardly speaks to excess or abuse. It's the way things are done in politics. I think each of the past four or five governors has had uh, multiple recall attempts against him. I, Pete Wilson had four or five when it worked for him. Schwarzenegger had multiple. Jerry Brown had multiple. It's the way it goes. So uh, I think between COVID, uh, the French laundry outing, the unusual circumstances of the time, it made the recall possible. So I think just trying to either do away with it altogether or really trying to significantly change it, I, I personally think that's overkill. But what do you think, Lee? Yeah, Bill, I agree. The, on the one hand, um, the 12% number, I believe, is, 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 is too low. Uh, and interestingly, despite that, we've had, we've had very few recalls. Um, but I think it would be, I think it would be useful to bring that number up to be closer in concert with other states. I think 20%, 22% would be a fine number. Um, what you don't want is a recall <laughs> in, in which it's 67-33 for the incumbent. Um, that, that is just such bad press. It's, and everybody's just throwing up their hands and saying, yeah, so why did we do this? Um, didn't we know this beforehand? Um, in this right. case, we didn't know it beforehand. Um, things change very, very quickly uh, in the last in the last month to six weeks. But yeah, 20, I think 20, 22% is a reasonable number. And I think uh, having a, um, yeah, Bill, I agree with you. The, uh, the longer window uh, certainly helped out on the recall event. Uh, we had yeah. a one-off of COVID. Um, but, uh, you, you know, trying to eliminate it as a constitutional project, I don't think is, I don't think is worth the effort. I don't think that would be beneficial in any way. Yeah, I just, I would look at who wants to change what, Jonathan. Um, so the analogy I've used here is um, the recall election in California was kind of similar to Operation Varsity Blues, which, uh, as you might recall, was the uh, college admissions scam uh, done here in California by a guy named Rick Singer. And what Rick Singer was doing was he was finding a side door into a prestigious university like Stanford, USC, UCLA's Lee. Um, and what he was doing was he was faking admissions. He was you know, pretending that kids were 
you know, great athletes. When they weren't, he would then bribe a coach at a university to, you know, smuggle the kid into the school. And it worked right until he got caught and realized it was a criminal enterprise. The recall was a uh, side door into the governor's office, if you will, in this regard. Uh, Republicans in California have struggled just to survive primaries. We have a top two primary system. And if you look at the 2018 election, Republicans were absent from four of the nine statewide races because they couldn't finish at least second. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the podcast the struggle to win a November election here in California, 51 of 52, which Arnold's not involved. So the recall was kind of the side door into the office, if you will, in that regard, the side door feigned. But, you know, just a word of caution for anybody who's hell-bent on changing this process, just consider the source. If you take the most angry Democratic lawmaker who wants to change the recall process and then raise the following question, what if we had a national law allowing you to recall Donald Trump? Would you have done it? Yes or no? I <laughs> think the answer we all know. So again, just consider whose ox got gored by the process when, when we're talking reform. Fascinating analysis, gentlemen. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, the Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you might hear it. And if you don't mind, please spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. Bill Whalen is on Twitter. His handle is at Bill Whalen C-A. And Leo Hanian is also on Twitter. His handle is at Lee underscore Hanian. Please visit the Hoover website at hoover.org and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, where you can access the latest scholarship and analysis from our fellows. Also check out California On Your Mind, where Bill Whalen and Leo Hanian write every week. Again, this is Jonathan Vortis sitting in Bill Whalen's chair this week. He'll be back for another episode of Matters of Policy and Politics. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.